0: Welcome to Straight Talk with Kathy, your go to source for health and wellness discussions from one of our country's leading motivational speakers, Kathy Robinson Pickett. And now, without further delay, here's Straight Talk with Kathy. everybody. Welcome to this edition of Straight Talk with Kathy. I'm your host, Kathy Robinson Pickett, and I'm a woman with something to say. And in this podcast this week, we're going to talk about um, an issue that has is been in the news a good bit lately because of the Um, Congress's inability to pass the Violence Against Women's Act for reauthorization uh, before they adjourned for recess over the holidays. And now that they've been back in session, still the failure to have passed the bill, the reauthorization of this legislation. Um, February happens to be one of the Domestic Violence Awareness Months in our country. And it's a topic that we've discussed on this show Um, numerous occasions in different ways, but one of the things I realized was we've never talked the way we're going to talk today. And, um, that is talking about what is domestic violence? What does it mean? What, what are the different types and who does it affect? Um, many of you that have listened to me for a while know that for many years I was, and higher education um, at Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida. And I can assure you that seldom did a day go by that I wasn't dealing with the fallout from some domestic issue that had happened in a child's life, whether it was something that had happened recently or something that had happened 10 years before and scarred them to where it was still affecting their day-to-day activity that many years later. And it's definitely something that, many of you know is a a very personal issue in my life. After Dan and I were diagnosed with HIV in 1991, um, alcohol became an issue for him, and certainly a certain level of domestic abuse occurred in our home. And um, it took me a while to leave that situation because I stayed. I stayed not because I loved him. I stayed not because of the children. I stayed because society made me feel guilty. Um, Nowhere, every time I spoke, someone would say to me, don't you feel responsible for having infected your husband? How do you live with yourself knowing what you did? And the more people said that to me, the more I internalized that. It didn't matter that we were a couple when the rape happened, we, we'd been infected the same amount of time, and that it occurred at a time when no one even knew what HIV was. None of that mattered because as people said to me, the pressure I felt kept me in that relationship. And it took many years um, before I could really talk about it, before I could start doing education on the subject. I've been certified to teach domestic violence classes since about 1995-96 and have taught them regularly, um, have worked on lots of legislation and different Things. So I'm certainly not um, a complete expert in the subject, but I definitely have a lot of knowledge that I'd like to share with you today because I think this is conversations we don't have. We don't have them with our best friends. We don't have them with our sisters and we don't have them with our children. And it's a conversation that has to happen. Um, big secrets lead to more big secrets and lead to all kinds of mental health issues. That's for sure. These conversations need to happen with your kids before your kids ever find themselves in a bad situation, by the way. So let's just start with some real basic basics. Um, What type of abuses are there? Well the first type is physical abuse and most of us feel like we know what physical abuse is. It's a black eye, it's bruises on someone's arm, bruises on their legs, and certainly that is a sign of physical abuse. But what you should know is perpetrators, whether we're talking a spousal relationship, a dating relationship, a child abuse relationship, an elder abuse relationship, a sibling abuse relationship, whatever type of situation we're talking about, perpetrators do not want to be caught and so oftentimes they hurt people physically in places where no one can see it. Um, Dan would punch me in my kidneys. He would pull my hair and he would twist my ears. Um, all things left... No sign for anyone outwardly to see, but certainly causes me great physical pain. What I have learned to recognize, um, if you see bruises on faces, arms, legs that are from an abusive situation, uh, that's one of two kinds of perpetrators. Either it's a perpetrator who has um, been perpetrating physical abuse for a long time and has never suffered any consequences or it's a serial perpetrator who's gone from victim to victim to victim this may be the first time that they've hurt this victim but this person has done this many times in the past and has suffered no consequences at all. The worst case of physical abuse I've ever Um, Been party to helping someone out of the situation occurred many, many years ago before cell phones. Um, I was teaching a class at Holmes Regional Medical Center in Melbourne. One day, and my pager was going off 911, 911. And I called the number, and it was a domestic um, violence shelter in the state, um, a few hours away from where I was at. And they asked me if I could come there right then. And I said, Well, I'm teaching in Melbourne today. Could I possibly come tomorrow? And the lady said, No, we really, really, really need you to come here today. So when I was finished teaching, I packed up and I headed to where I needed to go. Um, this woman met me when I got there. She was tall, beautiful, stately, middle-aged, blonde, dressed to the tees, and had on expensive jewelry. My first instinct was, why are you here? Not that you shouldn't be leaving a situation that's bad, but definitely it looked to me as if she probably had other options. Well, a very long story short, she had been married to a famous, um, plastic surgeon in the west coast of the United States and for a number of years he would come home at night and he would restrain her and he would put needles under her fingernails and under her toenails. What made her leave was he began doing it to their 14-year-old daughter but what made her run was that when they went to court um, he was able to hire a fancy high-priced Um, psychiatrists to come in and say that they were crazy, that those things never happened. And they had never told their minister. They had never told their friends. They had never told anyone else. And even though they had physical scars that you could not fake, Um, He had been awarded custody of their child and she had grabbed her daughter and she had ran as far and as fast as she could to get them both to safety. So you don't always know when physical abuse is occurring. The next kind of abuse is emotional abuse and verbal abuse. Those two things kind of go hand in hand, although they are different. Um, Verbal abuse we're familiar with. You're an idiot. You're ugly. Without me, you'd be nothing. None of us can walk through a big department store um, and not hear someone speak that way to a child, speak that way to another adult. Um, You know, those words are painful. They hurt. There's certainly worse things that people do say than that that I can't say on this show, so that um, because language is important to be able to use this for training purposes for um, kids and that kind of stuff but we know that when we hear it and we know what the tone is and again this isn't just talking spousal or dating we're talking elder, child, sibling, anyone that's being using words to hurt someone else in a power and control situation emotional abuse often goes hand in hand with verbal abuse is the withholding of affection, the withholding of, um, you did well, I'm proud of you, a hug, a child comes home with a report card, they got four A's and a B, instead of going, woohoo, wow, this is fantastic, let's go to the park today, it's, what did you do to get that B? What aren't you doing? It's the negative that is attached to that, instead of celebrating something that's wonderful. Emotional abuse and verbal abuse leave scars that never heal. They affect people's self-esteem. They affect their self-worth. They affect how they become as a grown-up, how they parent, what kind of relationships they go into. It affects what kind of job a person is able to hold down and have. Um, The effects of emotional and verbal abuse are long and withstanding. It's also withholding affection in a marriage. Using it as a power and control situation or in a committed relationship. Again, keep in mind when we're talking committed relationship, gay, straight, married or not, living together in a committed relationship. um, The statistics pan out. It doesn't matter what the dynamics of the sexual orientation is um, or the piece of paper that makes it a legal marriage. Um, these things occur across the board in relationships. The next kind of abuse I want to talk about is economic abuse. When we think of economic abuse, we often think of a woman who has a job. She works, she comes home, she turns over her paycheck and she gets a $15 allowance to go buy groceries for the week. Um, and has her not has her name isn't on um, credit cards or isn't on the mortgage or she has no nothing in her name. That is absolutely economic abuse. But economic abuse can have other levels to it. And one of the cases that I have to that will never, ever, ever leave my brain is that I had this student come into my office one day. He was a junior um, in college, brilliant, smart, smart kid, pre-med major, excellent excellent student good-looking athletic um total package and he came into my office one day and he dropped down in my big comfy chair and he looked at me and he said kathy i don't want to be a doctor i don't want to be a doctor and I said, well, honey, what happened today? Because, you know, I figure had a bad grade, bad test, bad whatever. And he says, no, you don't understand. I know in my heart that this is not what I want to do. And I said, well, what, you know, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I really am interested in psychology and mental health. I'm like, well, that is absolutely no big deal. We change your major and almost everything you've taken counts toward it and you're good to go. And he says, no, you don't understand, Kathy. I can't. If I change my major, my dad will cut me out of the family completely. And I said, "Oh, honey, that your dad. What is he said? And you know, parents say things that they don't really mean. They think they're pushing their kid, driving their kid, but really, you know, there can be some bad stuff attached to it." And he says, "No, no, Kathy, you don't. You don't understand. I can't live this way. And and I." I just don't know what to do, so I saw him every day for a few days and then had made arrangements that we were going to call his parents, both of his parents, and talk to them on the phone because I was convinced that, you know, he was just overreacting, um, being a little dramatic, being afraid, you know, whatever that is, that we can work up that pressure on ourselves, you know, and I knew that both of his parents were doctors, but, you know let's have this conversation. So I was dialing his parents on the speaker phone, and I was like on the fourth number as I'm dialing, and he says, by the way, you do know my mom hasn't practiced medicine since my brother was born, and his brother's a couple years older than him. Well, no, I didn't know that information, and by then I'd hit the last number, and the phone was ringing, and so I was a little taken off guard, and the dad and mom get on the phone, and I'm having this conversation, and It became very clear very quickly that dad meant exactly that. If my son changes his major, don't come back home. Don't come home for the holidays. Don't. You're cut off financially, but more importantly, you're cut off. You're not my child anymore. And um, I was stunned. I really, truly was stunned. I didn't know exactly what to do. Um, A very long story short, because we have such a limited amount of time. The kid, I was very very concerned for this child's mental health could he hurt himself you know what could happen so it took a lot of referrals a lot of counseling a lot of work and he did change his major but um four years later he's in graduate school and um he has no contact with his family his dad meant it he was cutting him off and he did and um That is economic abuse. That's all so many other abuses, too. But you can't control your child's choices with the purse strings. Now, there's a difference if you have a child that's using crack or drinking and you're trying to, you know, get them into rehab and you cut off supplying their habit. You know, that's a different kind of story. But using income to um, control other people's life choices is not an okay situation. The next kind of abuse is sexual abuse. We're really familiar with what rape is today in our culture. We talk a lot about it. We've talked a lot about it on this show. Sexual abuse certainly is sexual assault. It's molestation. It's um, perpetrated against children so often in our country that I can't even um, wrap my brain around it. Oftentimes, we see in the news all the time perpetrators that are trusted um, family members, trusted, literally coaches, scout leaders, teachers. You know, you name it. Today, we're seeing it in our society. In The sexual abuse I want to mention to you today is a different kind of abuse. It's, again, a power and control issue that is exerted in relationships. Culturally, I can't tell you how many people believe a marriage license is a license to have sex with their spouse, their wife, um, whenever, however, wherever they want and by what means they want. And what I want to tell you today is that Um, you always have the right to say no to sex, no one can ask you or should ask you to do anything that hurts you, that makes you uncomfortable emotionally or physically, nothing that you don't give your consent to. Even if you are in a committed relationship, no one has the right to demand sexual favors of you, whether you're a male or a female. No one has that right. And understand if they are, Dad, there are folks out there that can help you and help you have those conversations and um, do something about that. The last kind of abuse that I want to talk about today, and we are just tipping the iceberg, and I promise there will be more shows to follow this continuing on this topic but it's isolation when we think of isolation we think of someone who moves their family to north dakota puts them in a you know a cabin somewhere and cuts them off from society that certainly does happen and that is absolutely isolation Um, it doesn't happen as much as it used to because of technology things have changed um, a lot on those levels but it certainly does still happen today unfortunately most of the isolation that i've dealt with Um, with students and, and women and, um, friends together, families is more of a self-imposed isolation. It's, it's this, let's, let's make the female the perpetrator at this point. It's Christmas time and every Christmas they go to the husband's mom's for Christmas brunch and every year that they go, a catfight ensues between the wife and the mother. And when they get there, she says, you know, I can't believe your mom gave our child a brown shirt. I can't believe your mom cooked turkey again. Can't she cook anything for the holiday besides turkey? Whatever it is. And this this catfight ensues. It soon becomes easier not to put, go to the family event, to make an excuse to to find a reason not to rather than to put yourself into that situation where that argument's going to ensue. No one is restraining you. No one is telling you you can't go. But if you do go, you know, the drama is too much to bear for everyone. Self-imposed isolation is it's Wednesday and one Wednesday a month. Everybody at work goes to happy hour after work and has cocktails and appetizers and you don't go. No one tells you you can't go, but if you do go, you're going to hear about it for the next six weeks. So it's way easier to make an excuse to your coworkers why you can't be there than to go and pay the price when you go home. Self-imposed isolation helps a lot with our teenagers, with our college-age students. They start dating someone, they get cut off from their friends, and then... One day they wake up and realize, oh my gosh, I'm alone. I'm alone and I'm in a bad situation or I'm alone and he's just broken up with me and I don't even have any friends left. Self-imposed isolation also happens when people are scrolling through your electronic devices and looking through your email or looking at your text or looking at what your call list is and you begin to delete those things because if someone sees them, there's going to be a price to pay. No one ever tells you you can't call your mom and dad and talk to them. But if you do and they find your partner finds out, then they're going to lecture you and lecture you and lecture you about that. So again, it becomes easier just to cut yourself off. There are so many more types of domestic issues. And we're out of time for this show. But we're going to continue to touch on those. We're going to continue to talk about them. I promise um, there are tons of resources out there. If you need to talk to someone, if you need help getting out of a situation, if you need resources to be able to talk to your kids, to your friends, please don't hesitate to contact me. You can reach me on Facebook at Straight Talk with Kathy. That's our fan page. We have lots of information there. If you go into our notes, you'll find resources of places and how to make contacts, um, bullying resources, all kinds of other stuff that exists there. Please check it out. If you need to email me, you can email me at straighttalkwithkathy at gmail.com. No one sees that email but me. You can follow us on Twitter at straighttalkpod. Please get the information you need. Please have these conversations. And until next time, please be the boss of your brain.